Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The following panel is brought to you by the Sundance TV HQ at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. Enjoy! Welcome to the Sundance TV HQ. We are so excited to have you guys here. We're about to get started with our close-up with the Hollywood Reporter Live Indie Actors panel. So I'll go ahead and bring up our host, Mia Galupo from the Hollywood Reporter. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have an incredible panel filled with an incredible array of films that they're representing. So let's bring them out now. First, we have Amy Ryan, who, yes. You may know her from Gone Baby Gone, Birdman, The Office, but she is here with two movies, with Lost Girls and Worth. Yeah. Next, we have Winston Duke, who you know from Black Panther, Jordan Peele's Us, yes. And he's here with an incredible film called Nine Days. And then next, we have Elle Lorraine, who is from Insecure, Dear White People on Netflix. And she's here with Justin Simeon's new movie, Bad Hair. And then we have Meredith Hagner, who you may know from Search Party, uh, as well as Ingrid Goes West. She is also here with two Sundance movies, pulling some double duty on Horse Girl and Palm Springs. <laughs> and next to Meredith, we have Ben Wishaw, who you know from, yes, the James Bond franchise, A Very English Scandal, and he is here with Surge. And then finally, pulling up the end down there, we have Kendrick Sampson, who's also from Insecure. We have double Insecure representation hey. here. <laughs> also from How to Get Away with Murder, Showtime's yeah. White Famous, and he is here at Sundance with Miss Juneteenth. So you guys, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. Thank you. And just to get started, because Sundance is such a celebration of independent movies and the independent filmmaking spirit, indie filmmaking is known for small budgets and long days and you know getting things done. So I'm wondering uh, if any of you can share stories from indie filmmaking experiences where you and your crew had to go outside of the box or above and beyond to get the shot, make the day, finish the scene. Uh, well, I'll, I'll take it. I'll start. Um, I mean, our movie, we had an uh, incredibly 
verbally dense script. So we had probably 100 and 116 pages of dialogue and uh, 24 days to shoot it in. So if you just weren't ready and weren't prepared, the whole day could stop. You could lose mm -hmm. the entire day. So it was really imperative. And I was the lead in this film, so really kind of taking charge and, and, and leading the way and like being prepared every single day was a really big thing. Also, how we prepped each scene. We had to shoot the scene, then we would, between takes, go to another location and <laughs> rehearse. <laughs> we would rehearse the next scene in between the take of the other one. So you're just like, wow. you're just every single place, all over the place. But when everyone is just focused on delivering something and everyone knows the reason and the, the intention behind what they're doing, it all just feels right. We were working 12 to 14 hour days, everyone. And then you know, everyone who's behind the scenes, they still have to break down or do their own thing after you leave. And we'd all come back the next day energized again yeah. because we believed in the project so much. Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Well, I, we did 14 hour days as well. Um, Bad Hair is, first off, it's a film that I would love to see even if I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> most of our effects we did as practical effects and Bad Hair is about a killer weave and it kind of possesses <laughs> the girl and it goes crazy and on a rampage. Um, and so all of our effects were done in camera and we shot on film. So there were puppeteers and so much happening throughout the entire time. So we were doing long days and everybody was hands-on and it was like, we have to get it in these takes. But on top of that, Justin Simeon, our writer-director, was also going into season three of Dear White People. Mm. And they moved his writer's room on to location and he was having everything transcribed during their writer's room. And he was reading in between takes and during lunch would go to the writer's room. So it was literally like there was so much happening at one time and, the, and everybody was just doing everything we could to support him and just being as prepared as possible. Um, but you know, when you're killing people with weave, there's only so much. <laughs> 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 we had a, uh, if you, when you work with the community, so Channing, our director, um, on Juneteenth, we wanted to make it real authentic. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm coming from Texas, I already knew what we were dealing with, and you, especially when you're out in the uh, more rural areas, uh, you had, at the, our main house, the next door neighbors were the next door neighbors. They were not part of our film. Right? <laughs> so one of them figured out, you know, that he might be seen if he sits on his porch. <laughs> yes. And when he realized he wasn't being noticed, he got on the phone. So then we heard his conversation, so we couldn't just ignore him. But we, then we didn't realize that he was calling his friends. So one by one, they showed up until the porch was full, about five people, yes. and we had to maybe incentivize, you know, like, yeah. you got can you maybe not be on the phone, maybe not be five of you out here, it doesn't look really authentic anymore. Mm. And that's how they got an executive producer credit on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, um, and Winston, you mentioned this, and actors talk a lot about signing on to projects uh, after reading the script. So I'm wondering for all of you, what was it about the scripts for the films you're here at this festival with 
uh, that made you want to sign on? You know, Amy, what was Oh, my God. Um, well, the f Lost Girls, um, the, it's just, it's, an, it's, it's a wild story. It's a true story, and it's, it's, it, it still fills me with outrage um, that it's, it's still uh, um, a, a murder mystery that's not solved in the injustice. But um, it's just so wonderfully written and um, quite timely. Um, this, this great, uh, phenomenal woman, Mary Gilbert, and her strong voice, and um, that, that just made me want to sign on, <laughs> quite frankly. As I was reading, it's like, oh, she's still here. She's not giving up. Yeah. She's still there. She's still there. You know, she's, she's quite a force. Yeah. And Ben, Surge is something so different that we have yet to see from you as a performer. So I'm wondering, what was it first reading that project that made you say, yes, this is something that I would like to do now? Well, um, it was... Uh it was an unusual thing because um, I made a short film with Anil, who's there, <laughs> and, um, and it was a, a short film called Beat, and um, this was about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, and once we finished that film, we just started talking, and Anil had an idea about a guy who robbed a bank, and it was just the, the bare bones of an idea, and slowly, over however many years it was, six or seven, um, a script sort of slowly emerged out of, in a way, kind of our chat. I mean, not as well. It was very much written and structured <laughs> and someone put in a lot of hard graft, well, several people did. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was unusual for me in that it was um, personal and I don't even remember signing on. It just sort of... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, OK, we're going. We're going next year. Yeah. It's going to happen it finally. Was assumed, yeah. 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 Definitely. And, Meredith, you're here with... Two movies. So when you're when you're reading those scripts, is there anything that calls out to you that says, "Yes, this is a Sundance movie specifically"? Well, I only think of festivals when I read anything. What festival is this? Getting? <laughs> no, I um, I always just look at the I look at the directors and I'm like, Are, "Is this someone who, like Jeff Bana for Horse Girl?" I'm a small smaller role in that, but um, he's just such an interesting director. He did Little Hours, and he th there was no dialogue. It was just sort of loose ideas. And I I play a girl who had. Uh, Fell, fallen off a horse and had severe brain damage the night before my husband's like but it's a comedy right and I was like no babe no. <laughs> um, but he's just such an interesting director Alison Brie is tremendous and um, but I just for me that was just something I haven't done and I was excited and then Palm Springs just a great team of people really interesting script and she was kind of on the page this really unlikable girl and for me I just love Clay I just I'm like let me try to figure her out and it was really fun. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Elle, you're, you're leading your first feature here at Sundance. I know. I know. It's so exciting. It's crazy. <laughs> and your, your supporting cast is, to put it mildly, stacked. Yeah. Um, you have Laverne Cox, you have Vanessa Williams, you have Lena Waithe. So I'm, I'm wondering, going into production, was there an anxiety that came with that? And how did you not let that affect your performance? Um, you know, I have this weird ability or switch or something that 
does not click on. So I knew these people were gonna be there, and I'm from Houston, Texas, and Come on. you know Kelly Rowland. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Rowland's in it, so I was a huge Destiny Child's fan. So and Vanessa Williams is in it, and all these different things. And so I knew those things were true, and I was like, okay, just gotta you know make sure I'm a great artist and step up. Mm. And I just went in with my head down doing the work. Mm. But as soon as we were done, I was like, <gasps> you are Kelly Rowland. Literally yesterday, I was like, Kelly. I had your poster on my wall in high school. <laughs> and I turned into the normal me. Um, but I think it was just about the work. And we were all there because we love the project and we love the script and we love Justin. So it was we didn't have time to really just, you know, you know, just hang out and kick it and really be a fan. Although I was in master classes and everything. Yeah. Like Blair Underwood was one of my greatest teachers in my life already. And so was Vanessa and so many different people. But um, yeah, I, I also just knew I had to show up because I couldn't have all these scenes and then have Vanessa be like, oh, although, can I tell you a story? There was a moment, um, Vanessa came in like around week three and we were doing a scene, maybe like our second day. And I go, hey, yeah, um, excuse me, is there anything you need from me? Like, is there anything I could be doing? And she goes, no, actually, you're a great actress. You're doing a good job. And I was like, I wasn't asking you what I should do. I said, if you need anything. And then like, she was like, I like what you're doing. And I was like, <laughs> so, and so, although that was not my question, it really helped me. I felt very free and so supported by everybody. So, yeah. It's an education in and of itself making yeah. these movies. 100. But Elle is being a little humble. You know, I've known her over a decade, and she's been putting in the work over a decade, yeah. and she's been doing it hard for her. That's my H-Town <laughs> homie, you know, but she's she's a superstar in herself, and she's been around superstars all this time. She, <laughs> she know what she's doing. Thank you. My PR right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, on indie sets, there's always an experience differential between the cast and crew. You know, people are coming in with these different experiences, whether or not they have n not had the massive amounts of on-screen credit, they've still been putting in the work. But I'm, I'm wondering, how do each of you as performers navigate those different experience levels and meet where everyone is coming from? Because Winston, I know you're working, for nine days you were working with a first-time feature director, yeah. but he had a m massive background in commercial filmmaking. Um, not commercial studio filmmaking, but actual commercials advertisements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was what was that experience like going into that project? Well, with Edson, it being his, it, yes, it was his first um, feature, but it's a story first and foremost that came out of his own life. So the lead character Will, which I, who I play, um, is based on his uncle who committed suicide. So it comes from an incredibly personal place, first and foremost. And, you know, he worked on it for years. You know, so the language, everything was figured out and layered. And he came from day one incredibly prepared. And when it comes to the experience levels, it, it's almost like this dream cast that he got. You know, you got me and Benedict Wong and Zassi Beats and Bill Skarsgård and all these really great actors who just showed up every day wanting to play. And he understood the nuance of his own story and trusted us. So it never felt like he was a new director at all. He knew the story he wanted to tell. He had great and clear intention, and that made the process easier. I think it, what made it hard at times was execution. 
you know, because we had a lot to do in a short amount of time, like I said. Yeah. Uh, but execution was hard, but the intention and the story and everything was really clear. And, you know, it was a smooth ride in that way. Yeah. And, and going off of that, how you, you get these scripts and you're mm -hmm. reading them and you fall in love with them, but how important on top of that is the person behind the camera, the person who will be telling that story? How important is that to you as a performer? A lot of you have writer-directors that you're working with, but when the writer is different than the director, what, what is that experience like? I always enjoy... I always enjoy the element of, like, I'm here to help illuminate your vision. Like, I love that partnership. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and in making indie film, like, that's, there's so much magic in that people are there because they really want to be. And they're supporting this person and their vision. Um, and when everyone's there for the right reasons, it just can be magic. But I just love going, like, what do you want? How do we make it? How do we, you know? Yeah, that made sense. I feel like I, I always get real uh, suspicious when I when I read a script that's about a certain community or a certain personality or an identity, and the person behind it is completely opposite of that. I'm like, I don't know how how authentic and how uh, sensitive you will be right. to this identity, you know, and so. With, with Miss Juneteenth, I'm from Texas. I'm from Houston. Juneteenth is, is, when you, is our Independence Day, Black People's Independence Day. Um, we, I, I grew up knowing you know, Independence Day, July 4th, was bullshit. It was, we were like, whose independence are we celebrating? Right? You know, it wasn't our ancestors, right? And so we celebrated Juneteenth. It's a huge deal in Texas. And then the pageant world is a huge deal in Texas. And Juneteenth, Miss Juneteenth, is about a pageant. And so... Uh, Channing, Godfrey Peoples, our director, is from the community. She experienced those uh, pageants, and she knew the importance of Juneteenth. So it was important for me when I was t discussing with her, I was like, where are you from? You know, because you, know, you, you never know, you know, and, and that it's so important and integral to being from Texas and being in Texas, crawfish boils, barbecues and all that stuff on Juneteenth. That's where we get it cracking. You know, I think, you know, July 4th is something. Get some seasoning on that thing. That's you know, that's when the last slaves were freed uh, two years after uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. So the last people that were, were informed of that was on, were on Galveston Island right outside of Houston where we grew up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And Don Davis over here, my <laughs> H-Town homie, you know, that's where we grew up. That's really important to make sure that they're from, if, to be completely frank, if it was like some white dude from Illinois, I'd be like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and how can I get in there and tell them that this ain't right? You know what I mean? And authenticity in storytelling is something that has come to the forefront, especially over the past couple of years in the independent community, but also in the entertainment industry at large. And this year's Sundance has more racial and gender diversity in its competition sections than ever before. Um, so I'm wondering, as actors, what... What is what are performers' roles industry wide as we see this push towards authentic experience and authentic filmmaking and getting more diversity and different voices behind the camera? Where do the actors fall? Well, uh, for me, uh, I I can't ever get away from my body. It's something that you know I've I've lived with my whole life and how people perceive me and how people see me and the narratives associated with it. Um, 
If ever I'm just walking, minding my own business, not even thinking about my body, someone will walk up to me and just say, man, you're tall. <laughs> something like that, yeah. you know, something along those lines. And as a result, when I read a script, I always wonder what the story my body will tell if I, mm. if I take this character, mm. right? So if I, if I play Will and I'm 6'5 and a black man dealing with um, intense psychological um, turmoil, what does that mean versus a guy who's 5'10", white, uh, 160 pounds? It's a different story. Right, so I always consider what story and what narrative I'm putting out there with my person. Mm -hmm. And that always helps me choose, and, and I, I think it's my responsibility. And as a guy who also tries very hard not to abide by all the narratives of like classical, sometimes toxic masculinity, it's like my job to constantly be, what are we doing here? Why, why are we saying this? You know, it's my job to constantly be pushing uh, to be saying something different and making sure that my body in that space is saying something that I approve of, yeah. you know? And I, have, I don't have a lot of control as an actor. We, we don't mm -hmm. have a lot of control as an actor once we're done saying the thing, um, but while I am saying it, if I can control it in some way, uh, in, that, in that way, not like talking and listening, but just if I can control the narrative of what my body is saying in a larger sense, uh, that, that's a major, major consideration for me. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, I think we need these voices. I think that, you know, we, we've heard, we've probably all heard people say that, you know, you need to see yourselves in order to know who you can be and what mm -hmm. you can achieve. But it's so incredibly true. It's, um, I think when we, we display different people, different colors, shapes, sizes, uh, characteristics, you say you play someone who's disabled and has gone through something. And I think once we show those images, like in this space, like a screen where it had, where so many people have access to it, mm -hmm. um, Others who are now absorbing it, even if they don't realize it in the moment, there is something that gets changed. There's some part of their mind, their body, their spirit that is open and unlocked. Yeah. And when we share those those things, when writers, I'm pointing to you, Dime, when writers, um, you know, put those words down and filmmakers share those experiences, then we all realize how much we're alike. Mm -hmm. And from there, yeah. change can come. And we have to push to make sure it's, hap it's happening, and it is happening, but the more like, people like Sundance mm -hmm. gives opportunities to individuals, then we'll be further in five years than we have been in the past 20. Yeah. And so that's something that I look forward to as a creative. And like also on a different scale, a lot of times when people go in and I'll say rape other cultures, like rape their systems, we first take away their history, we take away the knowledge of who they were. But artists are, are truth tellers and we're historians and this is an opportunity to, you know, to chart that for the future. Yeah, yeah. Meredith, you look like you're... Oh yeah, it's, 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 uh, I was talking with my sister who has Down syndrome and I'm working on a project starring that will be starring her. 
And um, wow. it was very profound. It actually, it's like hard for me to talk about. She was really being like, uh, she was excited and she's so eloquent and brilliant. And then she started crying and she said, I'm scared I'm gonna be a joke. And she said, I don't want to be called the R word, and she doesn't have any representation. And now uh, Peter Putter Falcon came out, and she was basically like running pr local press for that in North Carolina um, on a street team, being like, there's a movie starring a person with, person with Down syndrome. But to hear her, watch her cry and say, I don't want to be made fun of, I'm, I don't want to be a joke, and look at, looking at this underrepresented population of people whose stories are stories that need to be told, they're really... It hit home, yeah. So anyway, keep making the things starring the people that, starring stories that are not most often told. Definitely. And, and you know, we live in a, it's a capitalist society. So they <laughs> want to make as easy a decision as they can. And those decisions don't always, you know, who they want to portray in the media and in most stories and invest in don't always look like all of us. You know, I, I didn't grow up seeing a lot of movies with big men, uh, big black men. And if it was about a big black man, there was always some sort of caveat to it. He, you know, was mentally impaired. Like, I loved Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile, but that's a specific story, you know? Um, it's never something that really tells the full spectrum. And it's, it's our jobs to make sure that that's happening. This, this is the time for it, you know? Hollywood and filmmaking and distribution has never been this way. There's never been streaming. There's never been all these avenues for all these stories to be out there. It's always been so much more controlled and out of our hands. You know, if you just want to also just make a movie and put it on YouTube, you could do that. You know, you can put narratives out yourself now. So we have so much more power, and I think it's definitely our responsibility to employ that power. Yeah, can I also, because uh, that, that responsibility, like, when you pair, so a lot of artists think that, you know, it's, they don't have that responsibility. Mm -hmm. Their responsibility is only to their own selfish art, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to challenge that and, like, abolish that because we, we do have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. All of us have a responsibility to use whatever privilege we have to make sure that everybody's okay, mm -hmm. right? To make sure that th those who are most vulnerable are uplifted, that, that they're free, they're liberated, right? And we have to go in with that mindset and create that type of culture. That's not the type of culture in Hollywood. It's capitalistic. It's profiting off of other people's oppression, right? Mm -hmm. Profiting off of other people's stories. While keeping them invisible. While keeping them invisible because other people are, are, are worried about that a lot of the time when they don't want to touch the most controversial controversial parts of those those topics it's because they think that their bottom dollar will be ch will be challenged or or mitigated and in the, in the, they will miss out on some profit you know and as actors, we also have a responsibility to, it's not ever a selfish uh, uh, pursuit. It's, it's always a responsibility. If you really want to tell the most authentic part of that story, you need to do your research mm -hmm. of whoever you're, whoever you're portraying and the community that they represent and who they're going to be, who they're going to liberate once people see that. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to Asia Bundawi, who's like an amazing filmmaker, who uh, the feeling of being watched, uh, talking about the surveillance of the Muslim community community and she was like and, and I think this is so important we need to stop making 
um, stories and telling stories to humanize us because we, we are human and we don't need to tell white people or whoever or convince them that we are. Um, we need to make those stories so that with the intention of the people that are going to be feel seen, mm -hmm. the people that will feel seen, mm -hmm. um, that that will see themselves represented and will feel liberated, mm -hmm. you know, and and I think that's so important. That is where the responsibility falls on the actor to say who is going to be liberated by this and how can I honor that? How can I do go even further and push this even further and make sure that this is authentic um, and challenge whoever's on set and whoever you know whoever is in the 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 writers room. You know, I'll be going in there and being like, this ain't great. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh shit, here he comes again. <laughs> but that's what we got to do. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and there are there are more places than ever for these stories to exist. Should Hollywood allow the space to be made for these stories? I'm I'm wondering for performers, you, you can be seen now on a 30 foot screen or on a phone screen. So, do you does it matter to you how an audience is ingesting your performance? You know whether it's the, I think I mean the beauty of film of, of gathering with a bunch of strangers in a dark room and having mm -hmm. a communal experience, I do worry that that is going to be lost. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, as, you know, obviously, as I don't need to say, but like how we are all tapped in and head down, and I really feel like all our, our spines are about to, you know, reshape <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they even say, like, a slouched position will bring on depression. Like, if you're going to be on your phone, get it up here, at least. <laughs> at least do that. But, but anyway, I'm off on, on a tangent. But um, I, I, I do miss the shared experience, yeah. you know, yeah. because, it, you know, you, you're, you're given more permission in the dark and to, mm. to, to have these emotions and, um, and to also feel like you're not alone in society. And I think that's what's really important. But on the flip side, if these films that someone made on their phone and they're putting it on YouTube mm -hmm. because they're not waiting for Hollywood, I'm like, go for it. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, and, and we can tell our stories in a, in a quick little, you know, 15, 15 second movie or, you know, a, a massive, you know, full screen. 70 millimeter, which I don't think exists anymore, but like, <laughs> but like uh, you know, I, I, I support that because, um, you know, mm -hmm. th there's a way. I mean, I feel like when I, when I started, it, it, was, it was only that way. Like, you could only, like, people would say, like, well, how do I know your work? Like, um, you know, well you, well, you have to cast me in a film first. And so you can know my work. There was no other way to put some work out there, you know, that you could record it. So now there's so much power in the artist's hands and, and if taken the right responsibility with that power, like you say, so beautifully. But, um, uh, but I, 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 I'm for both, if that's kind of lame, but I... I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Switzerland here in the film world, but yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Definitely. Um, and what... What connects all of you is such a breadth of experience and also in multiple mediums, whether it's features or television or stage. So I'm, I'm wondering, as everything in the industry kind of combines, as there is no longer hard lines between television and movie actors or theater actors becoming film actors, how does you know, performance in one medium feed into a mastery of another. Like, Ben, I know you have a large theatrical experience. How has that informed, you know, your, your work on screen? 
Um, well, <laughs> I always feel whenever I start anything that I've never acted ever before <laughs> in my life. So it's all a wash. I can't remember what to do. <laughs> um, how do you do it? I, you're, I'm sure something is in your body that you take from one thing to another and it grows somewhere inside you, but your mind <laughs> um, can fuck you up, you know, like you, 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 you think that... Um, so, but, but I think there's something really wonderful about coming to every job with that slightly uh, virginal um, thing, like... <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens this time. Yeah. That's, yeah. What I, well, uh, that's what I sort of this, feel. This question came up yesterday on a panel, um, and I, I have to quote Stanley Tucci. It was his answer, but it was he's like, it's not like the old days because really, good acting is good acting, mm -hmm. and that's it. So like, a, a good actor can do theater, yeah. television, film, and that that's that's where the crossover is. It's yeah. just in talent. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like the old days where, you know, there was no amplification in yeah. a theatre and you really had to, like, throw your voice out for, like, out. Yeah. 2,000 yeah. in an open arena. You know, it's, it's different. So it's just, it just comes out to being, like... Yeah. Uh, as long as you're yeah. telling the truth, yeah. it'll come, it'll come yeah. through. Uh, you know, really good advice I've gotten from... And he was... A, you know, Cromwell, what's his name there? Is that his James name? Cromwell. James Cromwell, yeah. Spoke at my school a while back, and we were all theater kids just thinking that there's some secret sauce, you know, <laughs> that he's going to tell you how to, how to finesse film. And uh, as a tall guy, I was like, is there anything you could tell me? And he just told me the truth has no size. Mm. The truth wow. has absolutely no size. Whatever your truth is, it'll come through. So always focus only on that, and you'll be fine. Mm. Yeah. It'll be great. What so. school was that, uh, Winston? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love my hat. <laughs> we had to get the hat back. No, it's important. No. <laughs> what school was that? <laughs> <laughs> we can't discuss it. It's in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering. I don't know. <laughs> James Cromwell didn't come to my yeah. school. <laughs> uh, Meredith, it looked like you were. Oh no! I love that. I was like, <laughs> I think that just might. Be, I think that might just be my face. I just look like I'm always ready to talk. What am I going to say next? What am I going to say? Next? Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> I said, don't snort on the panel. Um, no, I was going to say, like, it took me a long time because I'm 68. And um, <laughs> it did. It took me a really long time to figure out just that my own, like, unique humanness was, like, compelling, even if it was things within myself that I don't like or qualities that I don't want to be bringing... Like, I think there was a, at first, trying to be an, you know, being an actress and auditioning for, like, two lines on Blue Bloods and being like, I'm going to be good. Like, and then actually just embracing that, like, your own unique thing that maybe doesn't work for certain mediums is actually what makes you human sure. and yeah. unique. And that if it's real, then it will be interesting to watch. Yeah. Which, whatever. No Sorry. I'm teaching a class here. <laughs> yes. You are the James Cromwell of this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that. Oh, is a, it's a, that's a major thing, though. I mean, uh, when I was auditioning a lot just for TV, I would always be told I was too big. I was just too big, and the star would potentially be overshadowed, or the feedback that you get back from your agents or a manager is that, you know, 
you would pull too much attention. And for a long time, I was working out sometimes three, four times a day to just be smaller in some way. Mm -hmm. And I, I just tried doing that, you know, and I, I would get down to, I wouldn't say unhealthy, but it wasn't me at my best. And it wasn't me really celebrating myself. And I was always trying to force myself into this medium because also I didn't know how to branch into film. So I was getting TV auditions, but it was when this, all this that I am was celebrated through film um, that I truly understood, you know what I mean? And you can't fight who you are, and that's what makes you special. Um, and if I never work again, I'll still know this is my thing, you know what I mean? I'm mm. this, all of this. And that's why, going back to the other question, the, the responsibility, there's so many guys who look like me. There's so many people in my community who look like me who now know that this is possible. Yeah. You know, there's so many people who now know that their face has a place. Their shoulders have a place. You know, and, and that responsibility, I feel it all the time. Hmm. You know, and uh, yeah. And there's also an element of like when once you get as an artist and even like in corporate world, the further you go up, you realize nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Oh. Yeah. Nobody oh. really like yeah. at the end of the day knows what they're yeah. doing. So it takes a bit of pressure off when you find out. I mean, I've heard like people with Oscars talk mm -hmm. about how they like choked up you know, like, and mm -hmm. couldn't get a tear to come out and stuff. I'm like, well, then, I mean, shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine, you know, I've got my good days, you know, yeah. like, um, and my bad days. <laughs> so, you know, like, I, it, when you go in and you remember that, that people are really trying to figure it out every day. Mm -hmm. and, and especially as artists, we're always trying to find something new. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to find something new, you can't rely on the mm -hmm. tried and true, right? Yeah. You, you, can, you can, you know, come up with a system that maybe works for you, but even that system has to be stretched and challenged and, and molded and, and malleable um, depending on who you're working with and what the atmosphere is on set. Sometimes nothing's conducive to the art, yeah. um, and you have process. to figure out how to still do it. Mm -hmm. um, and still... Don't nobody know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I elaborate a little bit yeah. on the fact that it's opened up so much and that so many of us have other opportunities to produce, because mm. I know you're a producer on your film. And we have, I think for a while, artists were limited as to like, you are the puppet and the doll. You have no voice, you have no wisdom, Where's and you have no piece? space in this. And I think that now we live in a world and where, where that's opened up, but so many of us now own all the, the multifaceted parts of ourselves. And that's in producing, that's in writing, that's in speaking out like Kendrick does so well. Um, and that's in also like just painting the other parts of ourselves that are artists mm -hmm. because maybe I'm an actress, but maybe I'm also something else too mm -hmm. along the way, you know? And I think that that's important, that's special. And when we support each other and remind each other and uplift each other in that capacity to show that we're full human, multidimensional human beings, then like, you know, Art gets better. Yeah. 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 Don't be afraid to be dynamic. And yeah. when all else fails, nobody knows what they're doing. So yeah. they're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with that, I think we have time for a few audience questions. We have microphones somewhere out there. So if anyone has any questions. Oh, right over here. Yeah. So 
So you talk about being your authentic self. Um, I'm seeing, uh, I'm concerned about our younger generation of boys, white, Asian, black, whatever. Um, and someone large like yourself is always being pushed play football. Were you, did you have to face that growing up that you shouldn't be in theater, you should be in, because theater's for, you know, those guys, but yeah, so I just would like to hear what you, advice you would give to young boys who want to be artists, but would be pigeonholed into something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, my advice is, is, is it, it really goes you know, hand in hand with uh, what uh, Kendrick's saying, which is no one has the answer, that your journey is your own, right? So as I did, I, I was pigeonholed into like every uh, idea of what a masculine man is supposed to be. And then coming from an extremely hyper-masculine community, like I'm Caribbean, I'm a Caribbean man, you know what I mean? Like we grow up practicing our walk, practicing <laughs> our stroll, like I used to like walk around and like grab and like, you know, like, we're, like you know, practice how to talk to girls. And then, you know, growing and grow, growing into who I am today and, and being told that I was supposed to play football and realizing that that's not for me. I, I don't like being hit. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? It's very simple. It's, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just, your journey is your own. Your narrative is your own. And really being able to wield the power that is within yourself, that is within the narrative of your person. You know, the narrative of my person is to be both um, hyper visible and invisible at once. And for that to be up to everyone else's discretion, right? hyper-visible when, when they think it's something concerning, right? If they, they're worried that I'm uh, a thief or I'm bad or I'm touching someone or I'm standing too close or I'm overly sexualized, and then invisible when it comes to anything that deals with my intellect, you know? So mm -hmm. to be able to weaponize that and choose when I do whatever, it, it, it's my choice, it's my life, it's, I've taken back control. I've also, you, you, you have to take back control of the, the words that are used to define you. Yeah. You have to take mm. back control of the word, the word male. Take back the word masculine. It doesn't mean stoic. It doesn't mean, you know, sexual conquest. It doesn't mean, you know, uh, not listening, not being an ally and only being a leader. It doesn't mean these things. So for young men, uh, we just have to have different conversations because essentially when we raise our boys into men to be this way, you're hurting them and you're hurting women and you're hurting everyone else who identifies as something different in the world. So. Just letting boys know that they have permission to be who and what they want to be is, 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 is the goal, you know what I mean? Love who you want, live where you want to live, go where you want to go, dream how you want to dream, 
it's 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 all right. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's also it depends on what the clap. Yeah, somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it also depends, because each of those identities are different, and it's going to take something different to liberate each one of those. The little Asian boys, the little black boys, and little white boys have to deal with completely different things. And um, it's going to, it can't depend on someone like Winston to, to, for hopefully his advice gets to those boys. It's going to take all of us to, to understand that we have a responsibility to liberate, and we have a responsibility to go in every room and leave it better than we found it figure out who's most vulnerable there and make sure they're okay Mm. you know and make sure that they know that there are other a lot of the time the reason that we go into football and that we're pressured uh, to be into football is not just toxic masculinity it is toxic masculinity it's something to be proud of and we're taught to be proud of and such but it's also a lack of opportunity elsewhere and we're taught and 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 then a whole capitalistic system that that forces on us that um, we should go into this system that that extracts from our community, right? And profits off of us and then doesn't invest anything in our communities. And, and rewards, doesn't do anything to, that's the problem and with capitalism it. is that it uh, rewards this bad behavior. Yeah. It rewards this bad pedagogy, it rewards it. So we keep doing it because being this kind of dude makes money. You know, being this way with women makes money, gives you fame, makes you popular, makes you feel like you will be happy if you do that. And, and the more conversations I have with men, the more conversation I have with, you know, Kendrick and I are very good friends. We have conversations like these very often. often. Yeah. Um, it's that you realize that a lot of the, 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 the common theme of the feedback is a lot of these guys who identified as that, as that the reason they're able to have these conversations now is because they've grown. The reason that they, they were very unhappy identifying as that. They didn't feel like themselves. They didn't know who they were. And their lives are better for changing, for, for talking and, and, and liberating themselves and, and doing something different. It, it's just a better world when we're all able to not have to be any one thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I'll have one thing. I know we talk too much. <laughs> but the, 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 the key to liberating men is to aim at liberating women, especially mm-hmm. women of color. 100%. So just FYI, you got to. And stories and filmmaking will be better off for it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And another audience question right over here. Hey, hi. Um, I'm Torres, coming all the way from Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, my yeah. question is for Kendrick. Um, I don't think you talk too much at all, but um, <laughs> I had a question about rep- representation. Um, I know that um, all of you on stage are, you know, you have very amazing careers, but I just wanted to hear from you. How confident do you feel to speak up about certain things? I mean, you touched on this earlier, um, having a director that's opposite a community that, community that they're trying to um, tell a story about. Um, but I really do want to hear like, how confident you feel to speak up and say, oh, here are my non-negotiables, or uh, maybe you turn things down because it doesn't seem like you know, you'll be uh, an authentic you know, vessel for who you are as a person. 
So I'm, I'm not uh, the best example because I'm a bit of an outlier in that. I talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about when I want to talk <laughs> about it. But I will say that a community of or specific black women in my life surrounded me. And one of them was me and Winston's agent, Fatmata Kamara, who took chances on people that other people didn't want to represent. Um, dark skinned people, people of color, black people, um, uh, tall, big Winston. Um, and, you know, that other people weren't, either didn't want to represent or weren't representing properly. Um, and I've been very strategic in making sure that my team is people of color. Um, like, and, and it's, a, it's a lot of people, you know, thank God. Uh, but there's, you know, there's, a, you know, my publicist is black, you know, Erica, where you at? There you are. Uh, you know, Fatmata is my point person. I, I, I always make sure everything goes through her. Um, Amanda Lee is 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 uh, Asian, and Brian Boone is black, and you know I'm lawyer. my lawyer. Uh, our lawyer, uh, John Miggs, is <laughs> dope as f. I'm gonna stop. I'm trying not to curse as much, but it's not. It's gonna come out again. Anyway, John is black. Um, you know, and and the the other agent, I mean uh, lawyer on my team is Latina, and 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 it's that was intentional. That was very intentional. And, and it's also about values because, you know, as an internal conversation, we know all skin folk and kin folk, you know, so it depends on what their values are. You can't just put a woman in, 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 in place and just hope things are going to change. What are her values? What are this black person's values? What, you know, uh, me and Erica connected most on, uh, on our feelings on police brutality um, on a very personal level. Um, and so there's, there is a, an element that we have to be, again, we have to take responsibility and move and navigate through this in Co in, with the spirit of coalition building mm. um, and making sure that we're not just looking to the most powerful agent to hopefully notice us and, and put us on and, and, and use their, wield their, their powers and hopefully they will understand us right. It's about identifying those people that do understand us no matter what level they are on, coalition building with them and building community together with the spirit of liberating. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Kendrick. Yeah. I think one more question, if we can get. Um, just a question, something I'm trying to struggle with myself, I'm struggling to reconcile. Um, I was just wondering if, I guess I can open the, this up to all of you, but um, I'm not really one that's interested in rocking the boat, and some of that may be internalized um, as a young man of color, and did any of you feel apprehensive towards projects that may have been deemed controversial? And if so, what caused you to move over the line and say, oh, this story needs to be told, it needs to be said, um, or not? I'd love to hear your answers on that. Yeah, especially for young up-and-coming actors who are just trying to establish themselves. I think that is a question that many people struggle with. I think that there's an element of just like, you start out as an actor, like I moved to New York, it's like cliche with like $600. And there's this very like, I'll do whatever, like anything. And this like kind of weird desperation where you feel almost in a sense like you're so, you almost don't have your own autonomy. Mm. You don't have your own agency. You're just there for anything. And, and then, you know, um, yeah, I don't know, realizing that like actually you are in control and your choices matter and they matter to the stories that you're telling and, mm -hmm. and even if you're in an industry that at times makes you feel insignificant and small, you're not. 
<laughs> and, and I'll say, I mean, like you said, there is a level of accepting jobs to survive that mm -hmm. happens. So I understand that and I relate to that. But I think, and this is actually one of the really strong parallels in bad hair that I connected to the most is like, some of the choices we make, how much of ourselves are we sacrificing? At what point is it not okay? When, when am I losing myself? Mm -hmm. Like for a job, for an industry, for a situation. Um, I think it's really important, especially as an actor, I mean, as, a, as an artist, because we're so sensitive. It's whatever, however you can be most true to yourself is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Because losing yourself at the end of the day, you will never be happy. No matter how much money you have, no matter how long your resume gets, if you, at the end of the day, have not done something that satisfies your bigger calling and your bigger dream, then all of it's pointless and worthless. So maybe figuring that out is easier said than done. And, and I want to say I've been at this for a very long time. And, um, like Kendrick mentioned, and it's it's a struggle, and there are many many nights where I was like, "What am I doing? Why, why am I doing this?" And like, should I go over here and like, and hopefully nobody sees it. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't happy, so so I just started to try my hardest to put myself in the space, the mental space, the self work, to trust myself to get to the place where I can create work and surround myself with other individuals who are doing work that um, speaks true to myself. So I don't know if that helps, but like maybe a little bit of that. And yeah. don't wait until you have resources to, to make those yeah. decisions. Mm -hmm. Like the best thing about having those people on my team was that they, the, Famata was an, age, uh, was an assistant um, who was looking out for me when she first scouted me. That's it, you know, she was not the uh, powerful agent, she was not my agent. She acted as my agent, but when I turned down stuff, I had nothing on my resume. My agents were looking at me like, who the hell are you to yep. turn down criminal number two on CSI? <laughs> and I'm like, well, all the criminals look like my family. Yeah. And they're not in positions of power, mm -hmm. and I ain't about to do this shit. Yeah. And, and the only person who would stand up for me was the only black, you know, the only black person on my team, you know? And she did it in her own way. She wasn't, you know, like, fight the power, you know? But she was, she was strategic, and, she, and, and just having that there gave me the, it also gave me the confidence to say, okay, hopefully she'll understand, you know? And sometimes she would give me an even different perspective um, because we're not monolithic. We all have different views and ideologies mm -hmm. and, and, and we don't agree on everything, but we can have a nuanced conversation that will not happen from somebody who does not understand. Yeah. Um, and, but don't wait until you get those resources to do that because it's actually so much harder when you, the foundation of your career and your life has been built on things that you don't agree with and that you feel uncomfortable with, but that's now your foundation to now all of a sudden start making those decisions because those decisions will probably dismantle that foundation, right? Because you built it on hmm. something that you disagree with, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, it's gonna, or at, at the very least it will conflict. But even if you now have you know, built a foundation of that, don't be afraid of that conflict because you need to build another foundation and you better get started as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I think a through line, 
something that all of you guys have reiterated is a career is not a singular effort. It is a collaborative effort, even though you are at the face of your career, you are, your work is representative of so much more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not just, your, not just your team, but communities as well. Mm -hmm. um, well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe for more panels from the 2020 Sundance Film Festival.